The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning. This is Carol Bossert. Thank you for tuning in to Museum Life. Today, I have the uh, great uh, pleasure to be uh, speaking to you from Minneapolis, where I've been attending the Museum Computer Network Conference, uh, and I hope to bring you some uh, highlights about that conference in the next week or two, but uh, just to say it's been a fabulous experience. This is the first time I've ever had a chance to uh, participate in this conference. And for those of you who are looking for a nice, small, uh, intimate conference where you can really get to know each other and people are talking about the most relevant things in our field, uh, think about MCN for next year. But I'm also very, very uh, pleased to have this uh, opportunity to talk today with uh, one of the um, most influential historians in our field, and I uh, am pleased to say also a good friend of mine. Uh, Deborah Mack is uh, currently uh, the Associate Director for Community and Constituent Services at the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture, which, as uh, most of you know, is being built on the uh, Mall in Washington, D.C., and will open in 2016. And we are all so very excited to be uh, witness to this um, uh, historic and very important project. And with that, Debbie, I am, and may I still call you Debbie? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. so welcome very much to the show today, uh, Debbie, and uh, uh, I'm very, I've been very uh, looking forward to having this conversation. I'm looking forward to this discussion as well. I've been following your program since its beginning, and congratulations on two full years. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, then, Debbie, you know how, how this goes. Uh, the first question to my guest, uh, just to get us all sort of focused, is to ask you to share a bit about your career trajectory and particularly those things that have influenced uh, your, your work. Um, I guess I do need to clarify from the beginning that I'm actually an anthropologist and not an historian although much of my work, of course, has been in both public history and public culture in museums. Um, I actually was trained as a legal anthropologist and as an Africanist, and my work was actually on civil rights and human rights litigation in, uh, in Africa, technically in Sudan. But I was very focused on issues of voice and representation, and when I finished working on my dissertation and uh, while I began my early teaching in Chicago, I was approached by the Field Museum on the development of their reinstallation of their permanent Africa halls. And I remember being surprised because I was not identified as a museum person, but apparently Michael Spock, who must have had a lot of free time, read my dissertation, and he said he was very interested in the representation about Africa um, and the voices of Africa being present in a really new kind of exhibition, and I joined that team. And after five years of working at the Field Museum and really being embedded in just the, the new scholarship, the new 
interpretive techniques, the visitor-focused approach. I was convinced that that was far more interesting than teaching in universities, and I've been in museums ever since. That's uh, I. I must admit, I did not. Uh, I did not know that story. I didn't know that Mike uh, had identified you at, at what was an extremely pivotal time in uh, in museum history. And I can I can appreciate how once you've been uh, involved in in museums, you don't uh, you don't ever want to go back. Uh, but of course, you have continued uh, to do uh, some very scholarly work as well. Um, so. I guess my next question is what what does the associate director for community and constituent services do? It it is an interesting title. Um Lonnie Bunch well it has been familiar with my work and of course I with him his work for for years. Um we had never worked together directly but we'd worked on comparable projects and um at the, and, of course, as you know, because we were both members, and you still are a member of the museum group, we were doing a lot of work out in the field and with, community muse- with communities, with museums, on the ground, nationally and internationally. And um, this title, Community and Constituent Services, is a standing um, title or division within the Smithsonian. Lonnie asked me to come in and conceptualize what that might mean for this museum. And so I joined the staff about three and a half years ago, and we have been using this period up to the opening of the museum, through opening, to interrogate that concept and to design it, redesign it, um, conceptualize it so that it serves a 21st century museum with this focus um, in ways that are different from other units. Um, And so uh, I guess I would say that we are still piloting what that would mean, but we have defined it as a unit that really strengthens and elevates the profile of African-American museums and other kinds of institutions, such as historically black colleges and universities, uh, cultural heritage organizations, cultural landscapes, actually. And and we do this um, by creating strategic partnerships on behalf of the museum, with national and international networks, with cultural heritage service organizations, um, with museums and with others, universities. And it's really to build capacity and provide professional development opportunities. Right now, that this mission is somewhat unique, um, both within the Smithsonian and in the broader museum field. And in fact, our unit has just launched its own strategic planning. We've been in existence about three years, and we're using the data and our experiences to really strategically define and redefine what we're doing so that post-opening, we have a more specific, um, um, I guess, a more specific mission that also embraces the post-opening of the museum. So presently, for instance, we, unlike Smithsonian Affiliates, which works with one-on-one organizations, we work with national organizations, regional organizations, and larger networks to really um, have more impact as a small service unit, but having broad impact in ways that would be effective. Uh, That's very interesting, and I must say that uh, that's not what I was thinking that it was when I was was uh, was reading your bio, uh, but it makes perfect sense. And if I uh, help me understand, so it's it's really not. You know, oftentimes, museum will have the the word uh, community in somebody's title or be talking about outreach to a community, and and oftentimes that means the museum is looking at certain con- um, certain audiences within either a geographic area or a philosophical area of interest uh, to uh, to bring them into the museum to provide uh, you know sort of direct services. But if I understand uh, what you're saying, Debbie. Is that this is a uh, a, a unit within uh, the museum that is trying to build partnerships and outreach to serve all uh, African American museums, as you said, historically black colleges and universities, uh, to elevate them and create this larger network 
African-American. That is correct. It really is much more around strategic partnerships with, in a sense, professional peers and constituents um, in related fields um, to really um, have a greater impact on the museum field, for museums in specifically, but in the larger field, and those fields these days are, are more than museum-specific. They may be libraries and archives. Um, this is also, of course, that we are, um, we, as you know, the museum w- was um, inaugurated under enabling legislation, and our work attempts to underscore the promise of that legislation, which in part calls out, for instance, HBCUs, but... Um, and, and calls out African-American museums. But it's also in 20th century terms, and we are really exploring what are the 21st century realities um, of what that means now. That's, I still, um, and, and I uh, want to follow up on what you've just said about 21st century uh, you know what it what it means to be a museum in the 21st century i but i just can't help but find your this this sense of agency just so refreshing uh within the museum community um i i feel that so often uh when museums uh or or any civic organization is talking about community it is often in a unidirectional um uh, approach of we are going to help or we are going to serve or we are going to give something to a community uh, either because we think they need it or it's good for them. Uh, but this is much more of a, of a true collaboration and partnership, which, which from what I'm hearing is going to be a, a dialogue, a true back and forth that you, uh, the, that the, uh, uh, the Smithsonian is learning as much from these other organizations as they will be receiving uh, information and uh, uh, collegiality from you. That is absolutely correct. As you know, um, the Smithsonian has fabulous resources, but the Smithsonian and our, un- and our museum, and, you know, even in particular, learns from others all the time. It is truly a dialogue. It is back and forth. One of our advantages of starting as a very, um, starting from the ground up and starting in a sense as a very purpose-built um, institution that has some very clear ideas on drawing from our national heritage. Uh, African-American um, museums, for instance, really begin in great numbers in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, through the 90s, and even now. But, of course, they begin in the 40s and 50s. And the history of those institutions as the ones that follow them have been really targeted very explicitly, very clearly, from the very beginning, always in community service, understanding who you serve. Um, This began in the era of discrimination and segregation, and also in an era of absence in the national culture, in national public history. And so we are drawing on a tradition, a very long-standing tradition of understanding who we serve, um, understanding the absence in national culture, in national history, in being sure that we are very clear why we do what we do. And that involves dialogue and that involves discussion and that involves trust building for all parties from the very beginning. That is a model um, and a core value of everything that we do Um, and from the beginning. And again, we are using this period to, in a sense, pilot to try things out, and then to come up with some long-term strategies and priorities after our opening. It's totally possible only because we have leadership that embraces ambiguity, that is very comfortable with ambiguity, and that is an organizational value that we have as well. And so we have the ability to be nimble, to be fluid, to change, and to wrestle with that ambiguity because it provides us with great opportunities. It also helps our publics engage with complexity and sort of the shades of gray, that that, um, that knowledge, that 
quote-unquote fact is not ever etched in stone. The best learning comes from being able to change, to embrace complexity and nuance, not only for us, but for our audiences and those who are currently not our audiences whom we hope to partner with. That's, oh, uh, makes me want to uh, uh, come work for you as well. Uh, It's This is very, very exciting. Uh, But before we go into uh, perhaps some of the specifics and examples of what you've been doing, we're going to go ahead and take our first of two breaks. And when we come back, a lot more uh, with Debbie Mack and sharing with us uh, what what it means to work for the uh, Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture. We will be right back. Uh, This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Are you ready for an Anything Goes hour-long foray into politics, pop culture, and societal tribulations? Then look no further than Between the Synapse with host Mark Tobin. Each show features nationally or internationally prominent guests discussing topics that go beyond the usual daily news, sometimes even way beyond. It's a weekly fast-paced hour that you won't want to miss. Call in to join the party. Between the Synapse airs live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. Uh, This is Carol Bossert, and I am here today with Debbie Mack, Dr. Deborah Mack, who is the Director for Community and Constituent Services at the soon-to-open Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. And I know I sometimes flip those words back and back and forth, but I, I know everyone will forgive me for that. Uh, it's more important to talk about the real meaning uh, of this experience and the impact uh, that the museum has is having now, uh, as as well as what that uh, what that experience will be an impact nationally and internationally uh, when the museum opens uh, on the Washington Mall uh, later in 2016. Debbie, 
I'd like to shift gears a little bit. Um, as you know, I am always one for defining vocabulary because it's so easy to use words that uh, we think we understand the meaning of, but, um, you know, find out that we've all had different meanings. And so one of the words, uh, actually two of the words I'd like you to sort of um, help me understand, I know it's something you've been thinking a lot about, is you know, uh, the we talk about the African American audience. Um, we also there is the African diaspora audience. And I'm, could you before we go into uh, maybe how the museum is 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 going to be providing service and building partnerships with these audiences? Could you help me understand the just the definition or how how you describe these these audiences um, certainly and it's interesting that you're raising this um, I served on the um, scholarly advisory committee for this museum for seven years before I ever came on staff and one of my signature inquiries at every quarterly meeting was in the 21st century who's african-american who are we, you know, who are we profiling? Who are we describing? Um, who are our audiences? Um, and this maybe is a bit of a step back. Um, you might be aware that 2015 is the 50th anniversary of the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965, which was a radical break from U.S. immigration policy prior to that. Um, the law prior to 1965 excluded Asians and Africans from being, from really being immigrants in any sizable numbers to the U.S., and it preferred Northern and Western Europeans, in fact, over Southern and Eastern ones. And this act came about at the height of the Civil Rights Movement, and of course, at that time, the concept of African American really, and we, it was at that time black, African American, were populations here in the U.S. that were grouped together all as one sort of monocultural group, and they identified only those, oh, I guess I'd say, with an historical connection to the United States related to the slave trade or slavery. And even that definition completely ignored historical pre-1965 populations that had come, for instance, from the Caribbean or from Central and South America. It definitely, after 1965, ignored immigrations of people of various African descent into the U.S. And in the 21st century, we have a very globalized African-American or African diaspora population. So we are actually just launching our own research, um, and it will be a study in the metro D.C. area, one of the most globalized in the country. Um, and in, so when we refer to African diaspora populations, we are including but not limiting it to African Americans with that conventional definition, but also African Caribbeans, Afro-Latin Americans, black Canadians, uh, the descendants of African indentured and enslaved people brought to the U.S., the Caribbean, Latin America, as well as voluntary African immigrants and their descendants. In the United States, we have first and second generation, I'll call them kids or young people, whose parents may both be African nationals who have lived much of their adult lives here. Their children are born and raised in California or Hawaii or New York. And yet they are often not included in that reference and they often feel, they often feel excluded. And so we are inviting people of various backgrounds to self-identify. And as I'm sure you are aware, especially for those 35, I would even say 40 and under, they self-identify in, they are very comfortable self-identifying themselves with multicultural identities. So not only these more recent populations that see themselves not either or, but as and and, as well as the historical, shall we say, Latin American, Central American, Caribbean, Afro-populations that have been in the United States from the very beginning, but not called out in that way. Um, we're really exploring these different dimensions because the, it has implications around language, for instance, um, and much of what my unit does 
online is available in English, Spanish, and French for that reason. Um, we are finding that through language ease, through gender identification, through age, through generational um, differences, we have audiences who are not sure if they are welcome or not sure they are included, but whom we want to engage with because for our post-opening exhibitions and programs, etc., we want to be able to highlight with even greater detail um, their stories, their backgrounds, and find out from them how they connect or don't, what their interests are or not. In the 21st century, they are part of the American fabric and they are African-American, even if they call themselves, and and we want to embrace them in the ways in which they self-identify and self-reference. So it is somewhat complex, and it has not happened before to our knowledge. Um, We know the Smithsonian has not engaged in this research, but many of the African-American museums have not either, or in fact others. But it is a kind of audience research, um, or I call it potential visitor research, that we need to know much more about. These findings, as I said, will really help us plan our post-inaugural exhibitions and programs, as well as collaborations. And our unit is already engaged in collaborations with others. So, for instance, we are working with MAC, the Museum's Association of the Caribbean. We are working um, in... Central and South America. We are working, um, in fact, just beginning recently with Afro-Canadian organizations. And of course, we are also doing some work with African research institutions, etc. I bet uh, sitting around the table coming up with the name for this new institution was pretty challenging as well, given everything that you've, you've just described. As part of our self-study, our strategic planning for our small internal unit, we anticipate a name change because community and constituent services, again, a title inherited from the Smithsonian sort of standing roster, is really not, um, it, it implies other things. And so we want to really make sure that as we retitle ourselves and redefine ourselves as we refine what we are doing, that there may be a, a better or more appropriate, a more accurate name that really lends itself to describe the scope of our work. Yes, uh, and and I and I uh, I can appreciate uh, the even the term African American uh, uh, is. Any term, any term that we use to describe a group of of, of people uh, is is a is a is a limiting label, uh, and certainly we find that with uh, the Hispanic communities, it is not a monolithic community, uh, and of course, individuals within that community will self-identify uh, as Hispanic or Latino, or perhaps uh, identify in a very different way. And I find this very, um, very useful uh, discussion. I, I will say that early on, uh, I had a, a discussion with a with a dear friend of mine in, in Phoenix, uh, who talked. We were talking about this this museum. He was very interested in it. He happens to be uh, a black man, uh, and he was saying, "Well, he wasn't sure whether he even wanted to go to a museum that was called African American because he didn't identify himself as a African. He identified himself." as an American. Uh, so I am sure that, that, that even by creating a, a museum, uh, this is elevating the conversation, and by elevating the conversation, we can all come to a greater understanding of the, uh, the variety of experiences of people. You are, of, you are absolutely of right, and, and your example is an, uh, an excellent one in that it is very, the, the use of language is very generational, it is um, how, how individuals and groups self-identify and self-name is something that we are very attentive to. We do have curators um, who are focusing on diasporic issues. Our own staff includes any number of individuals who have recent or more historical roots in the Caribbean, in Latin America, on the African continent. Um, but it's very, I think, primarily generational. Um, we do find that for visitors, 
40 and under, um, they're not particularly disturbed or, in fact, finding the name off-putting. They, in fact, respond with their own identification and their own naming. And again, it's not either or, it's and, and, and they're also willing to, I would say, push back and self-name on our site, in our presence, in our meetings with our people. So we are very open to, as I said, ambiguity um, and the need to, I think we, that our institution embraces the need to build alliances that provide long-term strategic relationships. Um, we are looking at various voids. Um, we are also reaching into communities and museums. We are looking at ways of supporting local museums of having real ownership within their own communities. We marry scholarship with community memory. Um, we really are doing a variety of things, so there's no one approach or panacea, but various units of our museum, various divisions, and we all work collaboratively, are aware of this changing fabric. The, you know, the, the museum itself and its title, the legislation, are very... 20th century concepts. And we, as we move forward into the 21st century, we are aware of the ever rapidly changing nature of, of naming, of practice, of identity. Um, one of our biggest, uh, I wouldn't say issues, but a, a fact that we've been well aware of from the very beginning is that this is not a museum that is about African Americans and for African Americans. This is a particular way of looking at the American experience. And there are many people who have no relationship to Africa who yet are very closely tied and find um, great value in African American perspectives or these range of perspectives on the national experience. Um, we work very closely with any number of centers that are not Afro whatsoever um, who come to us in partnership as well. You know, I find that um, I, I want to just uh, follow up on, on something that you, you said, Debbie, and uh, uh, we'll, we can talk. I don't want you to give away any, you know, big reveals about what the museum is going to be like. We want to, uh, uh, we want, you know, want to build that anticipation. But I think um, you said something very, very uh, important, and I know it's a discussion that we've had in, in Washington, uh, we've had in museum circles, this idea of having... Um, uh, uh, focused museums or museums focused on a particular community or you know particular uh, uh, community's experience or audience's experiences as somehow being um, uh, diluting the American story. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sure there there were discussions about well, why can't these stories of the African American experience writ large be part of say the Smithsonian's Museum of American History or the Smithsonian's Museum of National History or a Natural History? So, um, how how do you know, so you're talking about that it's that that the museum is so very important because it helps us all see what is a huge story but through a different lens, but not to balkanize it, but to be additive. Is that correct? I would. I think that that's a very um, valuable way of of expressing it. Um, you know, the Smithsonian itself had segregated collections and hiring practices into the 1960s, and the, the I'd say, the, um, the kinds of organizational definitions and units which um, some of the older museums have and which they are re-examining are not, in a sense, burdens for us. Um, our, hist our, our experiences, for instance, our gallery concepts, yes, they do include different types of history and culture, and, um, but we have a, an entire series of what we call community. Um, African-American experiences in the U.S. are a reflection of regional cultures and, and very strong places that have their own identities. And so we talk, we, we really address um, as a larger rubric, not only in exhibits, but in a variety of ways, the power of place, looking at the, the lens of place to explore regionalism, um, 
the long institute, the, the long history of creating um, formal and informal institutions and social organizations, in a sense, as tools in the struggle for change and for creating institutions where we were historically not allowed to participate in others. Um, and there's a very, very famous, very common expression in African-American culture. Uh, we talk about making a way out of no way. And that's really what we're going to focus on, how um, African-American formal, informal institutions such as HBCUs, such as churches, such as social organizations like fraternities and sororities and um, insurance and burial societies were created from the very beginning, from the 15th century through now as a way of creating community and, and caring for community when one is denied participation. Um, even in which the way that, you know, we have a, an exhibition that really deals with sports and military history. And I, as someone who had no interest in those topics in the beginning, was like, oh my goodness, badges, buttons, uniforms. But it really, these are, are galleries that really exemplify how African Americans have used sport as a way to embrace citizenship to change a national mentality, um, how African-Americans in sports have changed America. And, much of the, and many of those stories deal with um, individuals in sport, for instance, whose origins come out of the Caribbean and Central and South America. But because they are black or Afro descendants, they are lumped into the African-American pool. So it's another, another complex way of dealing with all these shades of gray. It's a different worldview on a long shared experience. Um, I think yes. that it is a good thing that we can say we have children who have never experienced formal segregation. But unless they realize that what they see right now in Black Lives Matter and other really challenging issues are just a repeat of historical issues, if they don't think, if they don't, or if they are not aware that there have been these issues before and ways in which African Americans and other communities have addressed them and dealt with them in a struggle towards equity and inclusion, they will think that this is brand new. Yes, those are very, very good points. I'm going to have to break in right now. We do have to take a second break. But as you can tell, there is so much more for Debbie and I to talk about. So please stay tuned. Uh, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. We'll be back in a moment. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and I am talking with Debbie Mack, who, as you know, is the Director for Community and Constituent Services, name change to come, uh, for the new Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture. And this has been such an enlightening uh, discussion, uh, not only about how uh, a museum in the 21st century begins to look at its uh, at essentially its its operations and how it is being developed. And Debbie, I just can't help but but be so terribly impressed. Um, you know, we all in museum conferences are, in theory, are always talking about how we want to create partnerships and how we want to um, uh, encourage our audiences to become partners and fellow travelers and even buddies in the the experience. And and then we uh, often go back to our own institutions and get sort of dragged down into the day to day operational details and forget that lofty goal. But it sounds as if uh, even with all of the building going on around you, and I, I can imagine that things are, are taking on a frenetic uh, uh, energy, that you are staying true to your, your mission and, and your, your beliefs in this regard. I think it's, it's fabulous, and I'm sure that that will, uh, will be illustrated through the authentic exhibitions and programs and activities that the museum uh what the uh that will be in the museum once it opens so can you give us a sneak peek of some of the uh uh experiences and uh things that we might encounter when when the museum opens well a sneak peek um i think that you are aware that the museum is located um, on a five-acre site adjacent to the Washington Monument on the National Mall. And it's approximately 350,000 square feet. Um, it will be the Smithsonian's first, it will be the 19th unit of the Smithsonian when it opens um, in fall of 2016. And it will be, the, the building really design and the external construction is largely done now. And it's a, an incredibly iconic building. We're expected to attract three to five million visitors annually. It will also be the Smithsonian's first green building, and it's being designed to achieve LEED Gold certification. Um, we've, we'll have nine galleries on five levels, and when I say galleries, exhibitions, but also... Um, well, I would say that, you know, there are, there are a series of exhibitions around history, around culture, from the visual and musical arts to popular culture um, in, a, in a, a range of, of ways. Um, we have an entire series of galleries or in exhibitions that really focus on community stories. But we will also have a youth gallery that provides a place for children and their families to explore the themes of the overall museum in developmentally appropriate ways. We will have a, several changing galleries to accommodate train, traveling and changing exhibitions, as well as, in fact, our own internal changing visual arts gallery uh, that will really highlight the visual arts on a rapidly changing basis. Um, a rather unique center that we will have launching, the Center for African American Media Arts, is a collecting entity that will be also on permanent display in the museum, and its goal is really to foster creativity and education in, in really media arts, in film, in photography. In fact, the first national collecting initiative it has um, going on right now is to collect African American home movies. These home movies from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, in what are now archaic forms um, that can be digitized, that can be shared. Um, people can keep their own but also have these things. But to examine how did we document ourselves? How do families uh, record their own memory? And so that's just one of the kinds of things that will be available at the very beginning um, to um, to visitors on site and also through through the web and and through social media, um, 
I'd say that there's a really full spectrum of African-American history and culture, historical, contemporary, and moving into the future. And as you may be aware, when the museum began, we began with zero collections. There were no collections. We now add our at some 35,000 items uh, with a very, uh, very active collecting program. Our curators and others, including myself, were collecting for the inaugural exhibitions, but now for the next year or two, they will be con- continuing that to really strengthen range of collections. And those include collections out of the Caribbean and South America in diasporic terms. Those diasporas are also right here within the United States, which we always need to remember. So these community and sort of regional culture collections are um, are going to be important for not only the present, for the future. And of course, our museum educators are working on developing programming, especially to help teachers create lesson plans that are tied to the museum's exhibitions. Um, something that I've said earlier, and I just really want to reiterate, is that we are very conscious of embracing the challenge of being of value, not only in a museum sense, but how do we craft um, experiences that really help our publics and our visitors find really useful art or really useful history or science that provide them with tools that help them navigate contemporary life today. Um, so it's being valuable in those, in those kinds of ways, not in just a teaching down, talking to visitors, but in this kind of dynamic interaction in which we learn and they learn as well. Um, as I said, we will open in the fall, um, and I believe it's now, it's the early fall of 2016. Uh, we've got incredible galleries and signature spaces such as the Oprah Winfrey Theater. Um, that will, they're just phenomenal. That sounds, uh, that sounds wonderful. You know, as you, you've been talking, uh, and I, I wrote down another phrase that you used, uh, uh, the idea of me, uh, meeting or marrying scholarship to community memory. Uh, and I, I was just reminded as, uh, 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 last week I had on the show, uh, Aaliyah Brown, uh, uh a great rising star in our uh, profession talking about uh, uh, some of the work that she's doing in, in public history and uh, museums. And she, she talked about uh, how so many uh, museum exhibits around the, around the country have what she referred to as a Negro corner, uh, which was a very uh, shallow attempt to bring in uh, an African-American story or make it a more uh, national uh, a representation of our, of our national narrative. And, uh, and I've been talking with others about the challenges of not knowing that history and not knowing that story and being caught. It sounds as if you are really going to be a resource for museums around the world, but certainly oh, absolutely. Uh, museums and, around you know, the country those, those to bring in that story. That she's tend to be very middle class, very successful, uh, the stories of accomplishment, um, not difficult or challenging stories necessarily, not complicated stories. Um, one of our stories and one that we highlight is, is that of the impact of prisons, Amer- the American prison system on African-American families, communities, nation, and concept. Um, and we actually have done collecting at um, Angola Prison in Louisiana, one of the largest in the United States and absolutely one of the oldest. It was a plantation that was quickly flipped to a prison. It's the same site, the same buildings, etc. And we use that as a case in place to talk about that kind of dark, difficult, challenging, and unjust history and how this needs to be transformed for the entire country. And so I encourage everyone uh, to... It sounds to me as if you... This truly will be an opportunity for the the Smithsonian uh, and this museum in particular, to really uh, extend and enhance the entire American narrative. It's not just a, uh, a, a sidelight, so to speak, uh, as several um, uh, others have, have uh, criticized it to be. And I, I 
that is going to be good for all of us. Absolutely. I'm wondering if you could talk just a a little bit more about... um, well, actually, I'd love to talk to you just uh, one one uh, point. Since uh, one of the uh, greatest conferences I've heard about recently has been uh, the Conference of the Americas, uh, can you? And I know that that you participated in it, as did Leslie Bedford. It sounds as if that is an area too where Central and South America is beginning to look at their museums and use that as a way of extending their national stories. Absolutely. We have worked with um, the the conference Reimagining the Museum. The Conference of the Americas was held in Buenos Aires, uh, Argentina, um, at the very beginning of September. We were sponsors, co-sponsors of that that conference that was... um, really designed by AAM, the American Alliance of Museums, and Fundacion TIPA, which is Theory and Practice of the Arts, I guess you would say is the acronym. The conference attracted some 650 attendees that represented 19 countries. And so from the Arctic to Tierra del Fuego uh, and Patagonia um, throughout this hemisphere, as well as other countries outside in Europe, it was a really dynamic um uh, program. Our support was to intentionally increase access to the conference, both virtually and in person, through multilingual recordings of all the keynote and dialogue sessions. The it was a trilingual conference in English, Spanish, and Portuguese, and we also have underwritten the multilingual printed materials in the final program and a forthcoming white paper that was a synopsis. It was a fabulous. Um, conference in part because it was very intentional in who it was supposed to serve, and that was emerging and mid-career museum professionals who are generally not the people who show up at the big international conferences. Um, TIPA, AAM, us, uh, really had come to a consensus that if there was going to be change in museums and change in the kinds of experiences and engagement with audiences, that it's these younger professionals and emerging professionals who are either going to do it with or without their institutions, or they are charged with with getting it done. And so yes. we were really happy to provide that support and to underwrite the participation of 10 professionals from... Um, and actually Afro-professionals from South America, um, Central America, and the U.S. That's wonderful. Debbie, thank you so much for bringing us full circle. Uh, this has been a wonderful discussion, and I, as I often do uh, almost every week, uh, feel so much uh, more uh, positive and encouraged about how our profession really can be agents of social change in this world. Uh, so thank you so much for being on the show today, and good luck. I know you have a lot to do between now and next fall. Thank you for inviting me. And we will be back next week with another edition of Museum Life. Thank you all for listening, uh, sharing your thoughts, uh, being so encouraging to me and about this program. It is my pleasure uh, to bring a very interesting and important guest to you every week. So stay tuned. We will be back next week. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. We'll be right back.